Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad begins a new sermon series called Psalms of Summer as he dives into the Psalms to learn more about God and why he is worthy of our praise. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. We are aware that there are some audio issues in this episode, and we appreciate your understanding. Good morning, Impact Church. How is everybody doing? Kicking off a new sermon series uh, that we're calling the Psalms of Summer, because we're going to go through certain psalms here through the summer months and through these weeks, and we're going to look at what God's Word has to say through this book. And today, our message is called The Lead-Off. It's The Lead-Off because we're going through the first book today, in or the first chapter rather, in the book of Psalms. And if I saw... I, called it the leadoff because we're in baseball season and unfortunately Liberty just lost and, and got moved out of the playoffs yesterday. But if you know anything about baseball, there's something called a leadoff batter. That's your first batter in your lineup. And your leadoff batter, you want to be somebody who is going to set the tone for the game. All right. You want somebody that's going to get up and you know they're going to get on base. And maybe they're, they're the one that you know has the best batting average, they're more likely to crack the ball into the outfield, right? So, and it gets the team fired up. I'm not sure why this thing's going in and out, Silas. If you need me to grab another mic, just let me know if we can't get it right. But the, the leadoff batter is somebody who's going to get everything started and get it going. Well, we have a message today in this first chapter of Psalms that's going to get everything started for the rest of the book because it's going to, a lot of times through Psalms, it's going to talk about the righteous and the wicked. It's going to talk about uh, uh, like the, the people that are against God and against God's people and the people that are for God and live for God. So we're going to see in this message a definition of these two paths, these two types of people. If you know anything about Psalms, Psalms is, of course, is God-breathed inspiration, all right, through man onto paper, and it's inspired and inerrant. There's 150 chapters, all right? And if you know anything about Psalms, these are poems, Psalms, prayers that are, are put into text, and they give a picture of who God is. And they give a picture of his promises to his people. And there's significance in that because so many times we doubt or forget God's promises. Have you ever been there in your life? You've been in a bad situation, and you really you just forget who God is, that he's sovereign, that he's in control. You forget that, that he is an, an almighty, all-powerful, loving, merciful, gracious God, and he wants to go to work on your behalf if your heart's right before him. Man, if we can remember that, and this book, these chapters we're going to look at are going to remind us of who God is, and it leads us to worship him. And that's what all this is about, is about bringing praise and adoration to the God who loves us and is sovereign. So they teach us that no matter what our circumstances are, that we can put trust in a holy God, that we can have hope in him because he is our anchor, no matter what the circumstances that we are in. Keeping going through it, just the title itself, the word Psalms in the English is derived from a Greek word, actually, that means instrumental music. So these are songs that are sung with instruments. So we know that this is bringing praise to God. David wrote 73 of these Psalms, 75 if you account to him, the two that are given to him by the New Testament that said he wrote. Two are written by Solomon, his son. One's written actually by Moses. The rest of them if not written by those three, were written by other priests or Levites who are responsible for providing the music for the sanctuary worship during David's reign. So this is a beautiful collection of people's heart being poured out to God in their circumstances, and it speaks truths to us. This whole book of Psalms is um, laid out as five different books within it. And you can see that if you open God's Word, you can see those different books laid out in their various chapters. So, written by these many people, it's spanning a time of many centuries, hundreds of years. 
All right? So if you look at the one, probably the, the prayer of Moses, possibly the earliest, Psalm 90, and, and even the latest, even into the, uh, Psalm 137, written during the time of exile. I mean, before exile, while they were in captivity, the Israelites, how we just went through Ezra, right? And we looked at these Israelites in captivity in Babylon because of their sin. Psalm 137, pouring out their heart of that. And then, all the, and then there's other post-exilic Psalms as well. So all that being said, there's a lot in these books that we can look forward to. All the way down to even giving uh, foreshadowing and, and, and prophecy of the coming Messiah. About Jesus and, and who he is. These guys, again, written hundreds of years before Jesus, Jesus ever walked the earth. Documented historical data about the Messiah that would come to be true. This is the inerrant, infallible word of God. And we're going to hear of God's provision, his protection, his sovereignty, his justice, his wrath, his mercy, his grace. We're going to hear all about who God is as we go through these Psalms of summer. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we come to you now. We praise you. We worship you. Father, we lift your name high. And Lord, right now, as we exalt you, we humble ourselves. For we're not even worthy to be in your presence, Father. But Lord, because of your son and the body that was broken and the blood that was shed and the forgiveness that he gave at Calvary, Lord, we can come before you and we're invited to come and worship you. So Lord, as we open our hearts and our minds to you, Lord, allow our hearts and our minds to be fertile soil, Lord, receptive to the seed of your word and let it be planted deep within us that it would move in us, that it would grow in us, that it would change us, Lord, and to be everything that you've called us to be, collectively as a body called Impact Church, but even individually as we go out into the jobs, the schools, the places where you've, where you've called us to be, Lord, may we be a light that shines for Jesus. Father, I pray that you would come and do right now through your word what only you can do, and you get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have a copy of God's word with you, either in paper or on device, turn to the book of Psalms, and we're going to be in chapter 1, and we're going to read that right up front, and then we're going to look at this passage because we're going to see that this psalm explains the way of the righteous and the way of the ungodly. All right, and we're going to look at that because what we're going to see is a few things that define it. So let's read it first. Psalms 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So we see this contrast of the righteous and the ungodly. And then in the beginning of this, so we've got this lead-off book, this lead-off chapter, rather, in this book, and we have a lead-off statement right here in this first chapter. What is it? Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man, right off the bat. Boy, I tell you, we live in a world that has a, a very warped view and, and, and a very deep misunderstanding of what being blessed means. Can I just tell you that? People think blessing means I got, I got things in my pocket. I got money. My wallet's fat. My portfolio's full. I got a big house, nice car, this, that, and the other. Okay, maybe there's some provision from the Lord in that, but that doesn't mean you're blessed. Can I tell you that? 
That doesn't. Not blessed like this passage is talking about. Because if that means you're blessed, there's a lot of people that are blessed in this world that don't know Jesus. Because they got that stuff too. See what I'm saying? That's a warped view. If you think your blessings are only because your health and wealth, you have a warped view of blessing. You have a very carnal, temporal view of being blessed. And that needs to change through the word of God. And we're going to define that a little bit more here today. This word blessed here is the Hebrew word asher, which has an idea of happiness, joy, contentment. Isn't that what everybody's looking for in the world today? I mean, some of the, the, the best uh, selling books across the, the past decades have been books on how to find joy, how to be happy, five steps to the best life, 10 steps to this. And, and, and those are the, the uh, unfortunately, the, the, the pastors, the teachers that people flock to because they just want to feel good. They never want to be convicted by God's word. But what we're going to see is we need to be convicted by God's word in order to be blessed. Because it's God's word that changes us from the inside out because it's his spirit, his word working through us. So it's important and we're going to see that. So we get this plural form word that means many blessings, that it's continuous, that it's not just one. And again, it's not talking about health and wealth, all right, by itself. There's something deeper. We're going to see it. This form, this Hebrew word, this in its plural form, comes from the word ashar, A-S-H-A-R, which in its root means to be right or in line with something. To be right or in line with something. So we can now bring some truth through looking at the context of this um, first leadoff passage here in this first leadoff statement, blessed is the man. And we can say that blessed is the man, speaking of happiness, joy, all right, contentment, Blessed is the man whose life, or woman, whose life is right or in line with God. Got it? So therefore we see that. So this righteous man will be blessed because of, not because of who they are, not because of their works. This isn't a legalistic works-based message or passage in this Bible. That is not it. It all goes back to our heart and God working through us And that's how we're righteous. We're not righteous on our own. We're only righteous because of Christ in us. So now that we've got that definition off the bat of blessed and what this is all looking at, now let's look at this. What is the way of the righteous? What we're going to see is the Bible defines that there are certain things the righteous man or woman does not do. There are certain things that they do. There's a reward or a a result of living a righteous life. And then there's going to be this look at what happens to the ungodly. All right, so let's look at all that as quickly as we can. And I know y'all are comfortable and into AC today. So I I probably got to like one of two things. I can either preach longer because y'all are comfortable now. Or somebody clapping. Or I I could probably preach shorter because y'all are going to fall asleep. It's probably what's going to happen. So I'm going to try to go quick. All right, but we're going to dig in God's word. So what we see here in this passage is it clearly states that there's one who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So we have three things right off the bat the righteous do not do. They don't do it. And they're blessed because they don't do certain things. I want you to think about that. There it is right there. All right. So what we're looking at is there's a righteousness from the heart that leads us to a path that God wants us on. So there's a a direction we won't walk. There's a path we will not stand in. And there's a seat we will not sit in and stay for a long time. Right. So let's look at that. So when you look at this kind of collectively, these three things, we can say that there's a different way. There's things that we don't, there's a a way we don't think, there's a way we don't behave, and there's a place we don't belong. I want you to think about it that way. So you can say the righteous man has a different way of thinking, a different way of behaving, and they have a different way that they belong, and a place that they belong. So we see that, and what we see in this, when you think about thinking, behaving, and staying, 
you look at a progression of sin, guys. So there's a great lesson to be learned in this, that sin is progressive. Man, I've always heard, and maybe you have too, that that sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll make you pay more than you're willing to pay. Have you ever heard that? That's the truth of it. And I'm going to tell you guys that for 20 years of evangelism, before God, God called me into to preaching and planning a church, I have seen people at their lowest point, gone into every detention home in this state, up in Richmond, Beaumont, Bonaire, and I've seen kids, young kids, as young as 12, 13, 14 years old, weeping and in tears after accepting Jesus, but broken over the sin that they're therefore paying the price for. And this is what echoes in my head, and I know it echoes in my wife's head, and every man that went with us doing that ministry, is we heard these words. Say, Brad, I just wanted to fit in. Man, it's, it's a progression. It's, it starts with being with the wrong crowd. And they said, I was with the wrong people at the wrong time, in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing. And it started just with being with the wrong people. There it is right here, right in our passage. The righteous man doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. So that leads us to our first point. Who counsels you? Who counsels you? Where do you get your knowledge, your information, your direction? Where do you seek counseling? Because there's a wise counsel and an unwise counsel. Great lesson to be learned in this. Man, I've counseled people before with Scripture. Gave them Scripture talking about specifically this is what the Lord wants to do in you and through you. If you'll humble yourself and apply this word to your life and you'll do this, Christ will shine out of you. And I've counseled them in godly ways with this word. And then they leave this godly counsel and they go run to somebody else and listen to a different counsel who doesn't line up with this word but appeals more to their feelings. And they listen to that and not this. Maybe just because they know that person more than they know me. Maybe it's their relative. Maybe it's their best friend. Maybe it's, it's, it's their favorite podcast preacher. But I, I want to I really caution you that you always need to take counsel and take it back to God's word to see if it's accurate or not. And if it doesn't line up with God's word, do not follow it. I don't care if your great-grandma Maul shared it with you. All right? Hey, we need to get serious about living by God's word and not the opinion or the thoughts of man because they will lead us astray. God's word will always lead us on the path to righteousness. But I've seen people get duped and deceived in their counsel, and it's heartbreaking. So who counsels you? Does music counsel you that you listen to? Is TV? How about the media? You get your counsel from the media? How about social media? Is that where you get your counsel? How about Hollywood? How about false teachers and deceived people? Where are you getting your counsel or are you always taking it back right here? Do you get your counsel from yourself? In your own feelings, in your own heart? That's dangerous as well. Paul, speaking to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 through 34, said this. says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. If you read that in the NIV, because that's the New King James Version, the NIV says, bad company corrupts good character. Either way you read it, it gives a glaring truth who you hang out with, what you hang out with, what you continuously feed into your mind will eventually get downloaded in your heart. And what gets downloaded in your heart will always eventually come out in your actions. And your actions define what? Who you are. Your words don't define who you are. You could say you're a Christian. I could say I'm a Christian. I, I, could, I could say all, anything I wanted to. But do, do you believe my words or do my actions define who I am? 
Let me put it to you a way we all, we all would, would know. How about sports? You could say you're the best basketball player to ever play on this earth. Should I take your word for it? Or should I go back and look at your stats, your actions, and see if you were really that? And then I find out you were third string on your high school team. But the coach just didn't like you. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just being real. So many times we listen to people's words and we think they're all that in a bag of chips spiritually just because of what they say and their great mesmeric knowledge and the, the witty messages they preach. And, oh, they must be godly. I must listen to them. Absolutely not. We need to go back and see, does it align with God's word? Because not everybody that speaks it lives it. And if they don't live it, they don't have it. Man, we just went through that last week, and we're going to touch on that again. But there is a, a big message right off the bat. Who counsels you? The ungodly have counsel, but the righteous man won't walk in that stuff. We need to make sure our counsel comes from Jesus and his word. Yes, man can be a great counselor if they're aligned and speaking God's word to us. Great truth right there. God will use people sometimes, but always take it back to God's word. Which brings us to a point that a righteous man must know how to discern the counsel of the ungodly. And that's where many fail at this point because so many people don't know what God's word says. We're not in God's word and we don't know it. So we're so easily duped and deceived by bad counsel. Just because we, again, we, we know the person. We're familiar with the person. It's our family member. It's our best friend. And we, so we go with them because we don't know the Bible. You've got to know God's word so that you can discern between wise and unwise counsel. So... The righteous man knows how to discern it, and he goes back to it through God's word, all right? Because we know that also unwise counsel can, again, come from yourself. If you follow your feelings, follow your own heart, there's a big saying, so just follow your heart. Can I tell you right now, please don't follow your heart. <laughs> the Bible tells us that. It tells us in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is deceitful above all things. And it's desperately wicked. Please don't follow your heart. Please, unless you know your heart is completely surrendered to Jesus and his word. And that means you're going back to his word anyway. And it's never about your feelings. It's never about your heart. It's always about God's heart and his word. There's the difference for counsel. The counsel that Psalms 119, a, a chapter we'll go through later in the summer, verses 23 and 24 says, Princes also sit and speak against me. But your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Did you see that? Your testimonies. What are God's testimonies? His word. Who he is. His promises. His truths. Who he is. What he's done for you. Who you are in Christ. Read Ephesians. Figure that stuff out. Ephesians, uh, the first three chapters tells you who Christ is, what he's done for you, and who you are in Christ. Read it. The next four chapters will tell you how to walk out and live your Christian faith in Christ. There's a deep one that most people don't want to hear today. You want to know who Jesus is? Read the book of John. You'll see who God is and what he's done for you. Then read 1 John, the whole book of 1 John. You'll see what it looks like to truly be a follower of Christ and what it looks like to live it out. Get into the Bible. Learn his word so that you're not deceived. That is your counselor, his word, his truths. Second thing it says, first, man, we're not walking in the counsel of the wicked, but then it says, nor do we stand in the path of sinners. What does that mean? If you think about sinners on a path and where they stand, the righteous man knows he doesn't belong on that path. He, and we talked about this last week, where there's, there's basically two paths, and it's divided. And we talked about it in, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I'm going to read that for you again, just so it's in front of you here today. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. This is Jesus' own words at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, saying, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So I'm going to tell you, if you're on the path where a majority of people are going, you need to really check the path you're on because it might not be the right way. It probably will not be the right way. 
And again, you go back to God's word to define that path and that direction. So this path speaks of a way, and it says the righteous man will not stand in it. He won't even put his feet in it. Do you have a resolve in your heart to stand with the Lord and not a godless culture that's going the opposite way of God's word? Is that a resolve in your heart? That you're going to stand with Jesus no matter what the cost. Yes, persecution may come in its various forms. Right now, you might just get unfended on Facebook and, and not be invited to the party this weekend. whoop de doo Later, standing for Jesus may come in the fact that, man, you're going to pay a bigger penalty. You might even eventually have to be jailed for it. There's some people in Canada, pastors that are getting jailed for preaching the truth of God's word. Did you know that? There's laws written in that country that say you can't preach Jesus in certain formats in certain ways. That's right next door, baby. And if you think that this ain't coming down here eventually, wake up because we're heading that direction. So will you resolve in your heart to stand with Jesus or will you just stand with man? Who will you honor? Who will you please? Where's your heart? God's called us not to stand in the path of sinners. That Matthew 7 passage is so significant because we know in verses 21 through 23 later in that passage that Jesus basically says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord is going to enter my kingdom. What? Man, did, I mean, when you read that and it says, those people with anguish in their heart, you can see, but Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons and perform miracles? And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Oh my goodness, guys, that is one of the most scary verses in scripture. Because it, it reflects what, what we talked about earlier. It's not just about what you say and what you do. Man, it's who you are in your heart. Man, and God knows our hearts. So even though these people called him Lord and, and did great works and, and, and led Bible studies and, and maybe pastored churches and did all these various things, and he turns them away? Where's your heart? Think about the rich young ruler. and We went through, we briefly mentioned that last week, who, who came to Jesus and, and the first thing he says, he says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And, and Jesus' first words, and, and, and I misspoke this last week, his first words back were say, why do you call me good? There's only one that's good, and that's God alone. Last week I said, why do you call me Lord? And I guess because they were saying Lord, Lord, all right? But he said, why do you call me good? And then the man was still with him because, hey, Maybe he still believed that he was the Messiah, that he was God in the flesh. So he was still there. Jesus let him. He said, well, man, you got to do this. And he, and he rattled off five ten, of the Ten Commandments. And the man said, I've kept all them since birth. And Jesus said, good, but there's still one thing you're lacking. See, because it wasn't about what you do. It wasn't about do's. It's not a works-based faith. It's about faith in Christ alone to be saved. But faith is always preceded and followed by repentance. That was the one thing that this man was lacking, and Jesus knew it in his heart. So he said, there's one thing you lack. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the Bible says the man walked away rejected because he couldn't do it. What did Jesus want? His money? No. What did Jesus want? His heart. He had done everything else right. He had come to the right place. He knew Jesus was Lord. He wanted to be saved. He was ready to pray a prayer. He was ready to get baptized, right? Think about it. He was wanting to do all this stuff. He had even been a good moral person. Jesus said, none of that matters. Are you ready to surrender and submit your heart and your life to the lordship of me and my word? That's salvation because that's repentance, turning away from yourself, turning away from sin, and turning toward Christ, that brings the mercy and grace of Jesus upon a life. That's salvation. That's God's word. Very clear. Number three, it says the righteous is not going to sit in the seat of the scornful. Nor do they sit in the seat of the scornful. What does that mean? If you look at the definition of scornful, again, let's go back to the Hebrew word. It's the word lutz. And it means to, to mock, arrogant talk, to make mouths at. You ever been around those people? I mean, just complaining about everything. Nothing's right. 
They don't like Christians. They don't like God's word. They may know the Bible, but they don't know the love of Jesus. Let me tell you what. If you, if you know and stand on God's word, his word is truth. His word is love. All right? Because here's the scary part. We can love, love, love. Great. That's what we're commanded to do. But if we never present truth, we can love people straight to hell. Did you know that? Truth is love. If you really love somebody, you will share them truth because their destiny, their eternity is weighed into balance according to God's word. But there's a, a seat that the righteous won't sit in, and that's what they're scornful, those mockers, the ones filled with pride. This includes people who slander and gossip and talk about people. Man, don't be part of that. It says the righteous don't even sit there, and we're all guilty of this, of, of getting somewhere and listening to gossip, right? Me, you, we're all have done this at some point. And we need to repent and see that. And from now on, we don't entertain gossip anymore. We don't enter, entertain it, especially when it's amongst the body of Christ. Because it puts us in a, in a very, very, very scary place. Especially if you look at Proverbs chapter 6, where it says there's six things the Lord hates and seven is an abomination to him. Six of those things line up with what we're talking about here with the scornful. One is pride and arrogance, all right? That's obviously the people who, who think they have it right and, and want to talk about everybody. And then there's lying. There's oftentimes lied in, in with that. There's the, the heart that um, devises wicked schemes. There's the feet that are quick to run into evil. There's a false witness. And then there's this. There's the people who cause distinction among the brethren, who cause division in the body. That's what happens if we sit with that. God hates that. We can't be a part of that. The righteous don't even entertain it. We don't sit there. So when you think of counsel, thanking, when you think of walk with sinners, that's behavior. And when you think of, the, um, when you think of not being um, in a seat, you're thinking of inhabiting, of dwelling and that Hebrew word actually means to dwell or inhabit. We don't stay there. We don't belong there. We don't belong with the world. We belong with Christ. So we've got three things the righteous man does not do. But what do we do? What does the, the path of the righteous look like? What's this defining uh, characteristic here in Scripture in Psalms 1? It says his delight is in the law of the Lord. Throughout this book of Psalms, we're going to see this phrase, the law of the Lord. And it's used to describe guys, God's entire word. It's not just talking about the law, the Mosaic law, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. It's talking about the word of God, the righteous delight in the word of God. So if you don't delight in his word, and if there's things you would rather it not say, and things you would rather it would say to fit this culture, maybe you're not delighting in the word of God like you should. And maybe you need a heart check because we delight in this word if we're truly in Christ. So let me ask you, what makes you happy? What gets you excited? What gets you up on Sunday morning to come to church? Your wife? <laughs> time to get up. Your mom, your dad, time to get up. Or does the excitement about being around God's people and especially around God's word, does that excite you? Guys, I try my best to make this word come alive every week. But you know what? It's not about how I preach or what I say. God's word should get you excited. Not the way I deliver it. I can jump up and down and act like a fool like I do so often every Sunday and, and speak with passion, which I'm going to do because I'm passionate about his word. That shouldn't matter to you, though. It shouldn't matter whether, whether I have fancy gadgets and tricks and, and, and props up here to, to explain everything or fancy stories and jokes. Are you hungry for the word or not? So often we run to the pastor to just have witty messages. And man, we live in a culture that's very good on witty messages, but we live in a culture that's not very good on having hearts submitted and surrendered to Jesus and want to preach his whole word like it should be preached. Are you hungry for his word? Are you passionate for his word? Here's the truth. If a person delights in something, you don't have to beg him to do it or to like it. I'm going to say that again for everybody that's on a mental vacation. <laughs> If somebody truly delights in something, I, you, nobody else has to beg them to like it or to do it. 
I can tell you all day long about how good it is to follow Jesus. But until you taste for yourself and see that the Lord is good, you'll never know what I'm talking about. You'll, you may nod in agreement. Yeah, I know that truth. Yeah, that's good. Preach it, Pastor. Preach it, preach it, preach it. But until you surrender your heart and your life to Jesus and you truly are infilled with the Holy Spirit, you will have head knowledge, but you'll never have heart or life transformation. Never. You'll nod your head in truth when people speak it, but your life will never change because you haven't surrendered. That's it. So how hungry are you for it? A few weeks ago, we talked about the cookie monster, man, and, and talked about, man, you, you put a cookie in front of the cookie monster, it's gone, right? Now, play with me a little bit, okay? You don't have to tell the cookie monster, hey, there's a cookie right there. He already knows. He's already on it. I mean, that's how we should be for Christ, for his word. Man, somebody else shouldn't have to push me. Come on, come on, you know, come on. Is Christ in you? You will have a desire for it. I promise you that. I can't explain it. I can just tell you because he changed my heart. Has he changed yours? Man, it's huge. And then there's something else the righteous do. Not only do we delight in his word, but we meditate on it day and night. The righteous man ponders the word of God, meditates on it. He doesn't just want to hear it and forget it and nod to it and know its truth. He wants to apply it and live it out. Why? Because he, des he desires to be more like Christ in his walk. That's it. That is it. When we look at God's word, we should be asking ourselves, Lord, how can I apply this? Lord, give me strength. Help me to live it. Because that's what I want to do. Is that in you? It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We're always going to fail. Always. We're going to trip. We're going to fall right on our face because we're still in our flesh, right? And we're going to mess that up. But our heart's desire is not to make excuses for it and to continue in that mess up. It's to get up and look more like Christ and pray for God's strength to do it because we can't live the Christian life on our own. We can only do it through the Spirit of God in us. So we see that there's also a reward, a result that happens for the righteous of living this way, of not doing certain things and then standing on his word, meditating on it. What, are the, what is it? He says, we'll be like a tree planted by what? Rivers of water. Don't you think a tree needs water? <laughs> right? We're going to be like a tree planted by the source of something that we desperately need to live. I want you to think about it that way. God is going to put us somewhere where we don't have to search for happiness, peace, and joy in the world anymore. He is right here, and he's coming up through our roots spiritually and giving us life. It's beautiful in God's word. That's what the reward, the result is a better word of the righteous that Christ provides in us in this way that we walk. We're not constantly needy anymore. We're not looking for the world for our security, for our hope, for our pleasure, especially. We're looking to Christ. We want Christ to fill us up. We come home from a bad day of work. We come home from a bad week of work. What are we looking for? Things of the world to fill us up, to appease us, to ease us? Or are we looking to Christ to be our source? Where do you run? The righteousness are set by that stream of water. The water that what you drink of that, you're not going to thirst anymore. That's Jesus and his word. And then it says it brings forth fruit in its season. So the righteous man bears fruit. And we're going to kind of go through this more quickly. But we know Galatians gives us, Galatians 5 gives us some examples of the fruit of the spirit. Right? And love, joy, peace, long-suffering. All that stuff that we have that exudes out of us because Christ is in us. And the fruit comes from this tree naturally. You don't have to try. You don't have to try harder, make yourself do it. It's just a natural expression of Christ in you. It's the fruits. And we talked about that passage last week in Matthew 7. It said a bad tree, man, it doesn't bear good fruit. A good tree doesn't bear bad fruit. What fruits under your tree? That might be a great thing to look at. 
John 15, I'm not going to speak about it and read through it briefly because we're going to move on through. But Jesus says that he is the vine and that, and that we are the branches and, and the Lord prunes every branches in us that don't bear fruit. Man, and, and he, wants to, he wants to guide us and direct us. And then Jesus said there in this passage, he says, remain in me or abide in me and then I'll remain or abide in you. I want you to get that. That choice is ours first. If you remain in me, I will remain in you. That's what we're talking about here about not doing certain things and standing on God's word. And out of that, Christ is going to make sure we bear fruit because he is the vine and we're the branch. Apart from him, Jesus said in that passage, you and I can do nothing. Somebody say the word nothing. Nothing. What will your marriage look like if Christ is not at the center of it? Nothing. What will your finances look like if Christ is not honored and at the center of it? Nothing. How about your job? How about your family? How about your kids? You can lay it all out. It says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You may make some gains, make some strides, but I promise you, apart from Christ, it's not going anywhere. It's definitely not going anywhere for eternity. Even if you find worldly success as the world defines it, you will not have success eternally. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Where's your fruit? And the Bible says, whatever he does shall prosper. And it's not that a righteous man, everything he does makes him rich and comfortable. Or again, we got to remove ourselves from being blessed means financial things and, and, and materialism and all that stuff. That's not what it says. It says, but the life of a righteous man, God brings forth something good and wonderful out of everything. Bible even says, it says, hey, you know, not everything is good, but everything will work out for the good for those who love him, right? God wants to work even through the most difficult, hard, trying times in our life. And he wants to shine the light of Christ through you to others. That may be the good. There may be no good in it for you. The good in it may be to honor Christ and reach others. And if you're a true follower of Christ, that should be enough. Because that's the greatest commandment. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and then love others as yourself. You should want to honor God and reach others even before you get what you want. That's that transformation change in your mind, though, that only Christ can do. Then it ends with the way of the ungodly. It's a dangerous place to be. It says the ungodly are not so. What does that mean? It means everything that's true about the righteous man, that they're stable as a tree, that they have continual life and nourishment, that they're fruitful, they're alive, they're prosperous. It's not so regarding the ungodly. It's not where you want to be. You want to make sure you're on the right path. Think back to Matthew 7. If you're on the broad road and it's leading the, the way to destruction, you don't want to be on that path. You want to take an exit ramp. Maybe that exit ramp is today. Maybe you need to surrender your heart and your life truly to Jesus right now. Get it right with him. Take the exit ramp. Here's your opportunity. The Holy Spirit of the living God is tugging at your heart and your mind right now. Surrender to it. Just say yes. Don't say, oh, I'll do it later. There may not be a later. And then maybe you won't. The Bible is clear that no one comes to the Father unless the Lord calls them. It's the Spirit of God that's got to call you to be saved. What happens later if the Spirit of God's not tugging at your heart like he is now? I promise you, you will not come to Christ on your own. You won't do it. You may say, oh, I'll just accept Jesus on my deathbed. Really? The Spirit of the Lord's got to be pulling you to do that. You're not going to do it on your own. Why wait? Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Take the exit ramp now. Get off the broad path onto the narrow path. It's not easy, but it's rewarding. Because it says the ungodly are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Chaff is the light shell around a kernel of grain that must be stripped away before that kernel of grain can be ground into flour to be useful. So the chaff is light enough. Sometimes it says that, that when you just throw it up in the air, the chaff just kind of blows off the grain. Imagine that. That's what the ungodly are like. That's how unstable and how lacking in substance the ungodly are. That's why Jesus said, man, you're going to build your house on that shifting sand. When the storm comes, you're going to fall, baby. And great is its fall. 
So build your house up on the rock, the solid rock foundation of Jesus and his word. And then when that same storm comes, you're going to stand. And people are going to see Christ in that. So the ungodly should not stand in judgment, the passage concludes. Because why? Because they don't have Christ in their heart. They've not surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. They haven't repented and found saving grace in Christ. Truly, they have, may have head knowledge. They may know he's Lord like the rich young ruler. They may have come to the right place. They may be a good moral person, but they are not able to surrender and submit their heart to Jesus and repent and turn to him and his word. God's not playing games. Passage completely ends with two ways. Again, just like kind of like we had last week. It says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. What are the way of the righteous? We just talked about it so many times. And even in the book of Acts, it says several times that, that the way of, of Christ, this Christianity, as this new church was developing, is the way. And it's called the way. So the way of the righteous, God knows it. He knows our heart and he knows we're on it. But the way of the ungodly, there's another way. There's that broad path shall perish. It's that broad road that leads to destruction that you don't want to be on. There's a broad path, not only just to people that are heathens and, and act a fool. There's a broad path that even people walking in and out of church doors are in. Because they're deceived and they haven't been preached the full and true gospel. So they think it's just enough to believe that Jesus is Lord and then pray a little prayer and get baptized and they're good to go. And they don't have to live or think about Jesus anymore. They just got to come a few Sundays a year and they're good. That is not it. Have you surrendered your heart, your all to the Lordship of Christ? If not, maybe you're on the broad path and you don't know it. So... Which path are you on? Which one of these that we've looked at in Psalms chapter 1 today are you? Are you on the side of the, the righteous, blessed man? Or are you on the side of maybe the ungodly? Today is the day of salvation. Let's get it right. It's the leadoff message in Psalms. Because so many other times we're going to hear God's word in Psalms talk about the righteous and the wicked. The righteous and the wicked and the ungodly. Which path are we on? Let's bow our head and close our eyes right now. And I just want to know if there's anybody in here right now. And you can honestly say, Brad... I have never surrendered, repented, submitted my life to Christ like that. And today I want to do it. If that's you, I want you to speak from your heart to God's heart today and surrender, repent, and truly be a child of God today. And then continuously every day, Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him and get in his word and surrender to it. And what Jesus said is, is in his word, you constantly say yes to. And what he says you should say no to, you say no to. That's what living a life in Christ is. God's going to lead you through his word. Galatians tells us that. That if we live by the spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Is that you? Are you living by the spirit? If not, do it right now today. Surrender to it. I'm going to lead you through some words that I want you to speak from your heart to God's heart, but I want to make it clear, just like we've said today, it's not, a, not the prayer that saves you. These aren't magic words. It's about your heart. Are you ready to just give it all to Jesus? Then do it. Speak it to him. Or maybe you're here and you say, Brad, I've walked with the Lord earlier. Man, there was a time where, where I where I was on fire for the Lord and I know everything you're talking about that I was changed and I was, I was set new and man, there was a fire in me. But lately, man, I've, I've drifted away. I've gotten away. I've followed the ways of the world. I've followed the ways of myself. Life's been hard and it's knocked me off path. But today, I want to come back to the foot of the cross and surrender and rededicate my life. If that's you, I want you to repeat these same words from your heart to God's heart right now. In total, repentance, surrender, and submitting your life to Jesus right now to receive him for the first time or rededicate your life to say dear Lord 
I admit to you right now that I'm a sinner, that I've fallen short of your glory, and I'm in need of you, my Savior. Lord, I repent. I fall on my knees, and I know you're holy and I'm not. And Lord, I want you to break me of all my pride and my sinfulness. Break me over my sin. Break me over my selfishness. And help me surrender to your Lordship. God, thank you for sending your only son, Jesus, to die on the cross that I could have forgiveness of my sin, that his body was broken, that his blood was shed. And through that, and through that alone, I can be redeemed. I can be restored. I can be forgiven. And thank you for raising him from the grave three days later, proving that he is God, that he was not just a man, that he is God in the flesh. And Lord, he sits in victory right now over all hell, death, and the grave. And Lord Jesus, I want to claim that same victory right now in my life. I need it. I need your strength. And my commitment to you right now, in this place, from this day forward, is I am surrendered to you. Every step that I take, every breath that I make is all for your glory from this day forward. Strengthen me for the journey that you have me on. My life is yours. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye still closed right now. If you meant business with God right there for the first time or to rededicate your life to him, you meant business with God. He has your heart. He has your life now. You're ready to be set on a new path, a new direction. You took the exit ramp right now today boldly and unashamed would you raise your hand i want to pray for you say brad i prayed that prayer i meant business with god and i'm not ashamed of it if i don't see your hand god does he is our righteousness church oh how we need him give the lord a big round of applause in this place apart from him we can do nothing we can have no righteousness like we talked about on our own it's nothing apart from Christ that we can do to become righteous only through him surrender to him church surrender to him in all your ways in all your thoughts in all your actions and don't sit with the scornful man and let's take this word this week and let's go make an impact for Christ wherever he leads thanks again for joining us today the Lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ.